is Jared and the GM on ESPN 1025. The game live from Bridgestone Arena. Preds in San Jose. Pre-game in one hour. Hot drop in two right here on ESPN 1025. The game apparently San Jose is 0-3 today coming in here. Now, mm-hmm. I guess Evander Kane, their best forward, got suspended uh, for a hit in the preseason. And then Eric Carlson, their best defender, who's probably their best overall player, Eric Carlson's wife went into labor, so they've been without those guys, so that probably has contributed to their 0-3. But if there was ever a team, you know, we've always talked about hockey, like what can you really accomplish in the first 15 games, but what can you do harm to yourself in the first 15 games are two totally different things. Right. So in comes San Jose tonight. Hal Gill in 30 minutes, live out here at Pete and Terry's Tavern. Floyd, I ran a poll on Twitter, at Jared Stillman. 78% of Titans fans... The question was, do you trust Mike Vrabel's ability to make decisions in games? Which is literally like 90% of the head coach's job on a game day, right? Uh, yeah, probably the entire thing. Because he's not, you know, he's not formulating the game plan during the game. Well, I mean, he, he can adjust the game plan, but I mean, the bottom line is, the decision has to be made to change. The decision has to be made to change to what? You know, I mean, so it's it's all a decision-making process. But, like, for a head coach, when he's got the headset on and Arthur Smith is calling in the offensive play call, I'm sure Vrabel's listening to that and thinking in his head, you know, okay, we're going to run this because, you know, whatever. But Vrabel's not the one to sit there and, and say to Arthur, uh, no, let's do this other play instead right well what what he'll do arthur will say arthur will say uh you know i'm gonna run the perimeter he'll say no i don't want to do that let's do this you know or you know dean will say hey i'm gonna blitz all out blitz you know zero coverage no i don't want to do that now let's do you know so i mean that's generally the way it goes now on on you know ten calls he may only he may only converse on on two of the ten you know the other eight are going to be obvious and you know not a problem one way or the other. So anywho, the question on Twitter was: Do you trust Mike Vrabel's ability to make decisions in games? Seventy eight percent of fans say no. Twenty two percent of fans say yes. Now, how many votes? Uh, about seven hundred. Now, I I feel like that's kind of unfair to Vrabel, right? Like, there's a lot of times that Vrabel's decided to go for it when it made sense, and we don't think about it because it made sense to do, so they go for it, and either they get it or they don't get it, and that's okay. There's plenty of times where Vrabel sent out the kicker, and they, you know, made a kick, and we didn't even think about it. It, you know, was one way. I'll give you an example of this. Frank Reich against the Titans week two goes out on fourth and inches and sneaks the ball with Jacoby Brissett for a first down that led to the Colts winning the football game. If Brissett gets drawn backwards on that play, which would have been borderline impossible, but stranger things have happened. If Brissett fails to gain the line in that game, Frank Reich is vilified for a week in Indianapolis for going for it at the 35 of the uh, his own 35 on a fourth down up by two 
You know, everybody would have said Frank Reich's a moron. Santos probably makes the kick. And when Santos makes the kick, well, I say probably, but who knows. Titans beat the Colts. Now Frank Reich gets killed. But does anybody in Indianapolis think about the decision Reich made against the Tennessee Titans to go forward or not? Probably not. And so that's, no, it worked. So that's my point with Vrabel is I'm sure there are a handful of times that Vrabel's had to make a decision that he's made the right decision, and we just kind of forget about it because, you know, it, it because we forget about it. But at the same time, there are a lot of decisions when you add them up where Vrabel goes against the grain, and it's kind of like, ooh, I don't know about that one now. I don't know about that one. Now, to the point about it working, he got applauded by the fans last year when he turned down a 52-yard field goal to go for it on fourth and two against Philadelphia, and they ended up winning the game. You know, at that point, Vrabel wasn't playing for a tie. Vrabel was playing to win. So, Floyd, what do we think about the fact that 78% of the fans say they do not trust Mike Vrabel's ability to make decisions in games? I, I don't know. I don't know what that means. It means that they don't trust their head coach to make the right call when it gets down to fourth and something. Should we go? Should we not do that? The fans are probably thinking, whatever you think, Mike, pick the opposite of that. Yeah, again, I don't, you know, not for me. <laughs> I don't see that all the second-guessing stuff. Well, you went nuts I'm one not, time because Hugh all Jackson. All the second-guessing stuff just leaves me cold because I've always been the one to have to make the first guess and and have been second-guessed my entire career for, and not, and not like I've been belittled, but when you're a coach, at any level, in any place, there's people that are going to second-guess you. And that's that's the way it works. And you understand that with the business. And and Mike understands that, I'm absolutely sure. You know? So if if you were to ask him, I mean, he would blow it off. Say, okay, well, I'm go not, home. I'm not asking him. I'm asking you. And my, my thing with this is I feel like every week we have to have a discussion on some some decision Vrabel makes. And it's not, like, with malarkey, no offense to, I'm not, we talked about malarkey all the time. But I don't ever remember every week us having to sit together and talk about, was it a good idea? I told you, you can can eliminate these things. Just kick it when you should gay and just punt it. Do it. Yes. I mean, that's the way you do it. Now, are you trying to win the game? I think is the second part of that question. And the answer is no. I'm just doing what is going to get people off my butt. Well, that's not what I'm looking for. Now, if I'm a GM, that is not what I'm looking for. I know, but you can't say sending Santos out there to, to kick a 53-yard field goal is more so trying to win the game than going for it on fourth down. It's the only the reason game. he did it, to try to win the game. I've tried to tell you this for two days. I know what you're saying. I mean, you're brain dead. No, no, no I, I know what you're saying. get it across to you. You're saying that they would have had to have the ball twice anyway. got to get 10 you gotta points. you got to have a field goal and a touchdown. you got to so get you, 10 you points. you got to score twice. you got to get a f- touchdown and a field goal. He had a chance to get the field goal and eliminate that part of it. He kicks it. He gets it. Then, okay, if he doesn't make it, he's going to have to score twice. We had a hell of a time scoring once. 
So and what he wants to do is he wants to kick the field goal. If he's lucky enough to get the field goal, he's going to get the ball back probably one more time, and he's got a chance to score a touchdown to win the game. That's what he was trying to do. It's not that hard. I mean, it's really not that hard. But trying to get that across to people is impossible. They don't see And yet, you watch every weekend, I watch football games where that same exact thing is done. Same exact thing. And as a matter of fact, Dallas and Green Bay, except Dallas's kicker missed it. So now they're still behind by whatever it was, 12. You know, so now they've got to score twice to try to win. Well, they can't score twice. So they lose. But, I mean, it just, it's, we're treating like this like it's a mystery. And it's not a mystery. The one thing I think that bothers a lot of fans and, and bothers me is that Santos hadn't hit the broadside of a barn on Sunday, and now you're going to ask him to hit from 53? What we are said, your you have no choice, Jerry. What are, what are your, your choices? choices? There is no backup kicker. Punt. That's what you wanted to do. No, punt. that's not what I, I wanted to Let's go for. It. Punt. I, that was the second option. I wanted to go for it. Yeah. I wanted to go for it on fourth down, and I'd rather have punted. I was playing for overtime. At that point, I'm 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 into playing for overtime. I'm not in it to play for this guy to kick it. I'm not. I mean, this is the one time where if they had scored. And, and Johnny go for it. Like, let's say they score with about a minute left, and Johnny go for it wanted to go for two because I'm going to believe in my guys. I'm fast and aggressive. I'm going to show them. Had he wanted to do that, I would have been cool with it. Yeah, you know what? This because I didn't what, trust his kicker. There, there is absolute – you're saying stuff that makes absolutely no sense. And is is I've heard you on the other side of this – criticize left and right and up and down and all around for doing the very things you're talking about doing now. What do you mean? Because I criticize the decision to go Every, forward against the Chargers? All the time. It's too. It's so easy for you. And I understand that. You know, that's you're good at that, and I understand that. Is that is not it. But, I mean, my point is, if you're in that posi- position and have been there for a while, you're used to getting criticized. You're used to people second-guessing you. And that's and that's part of being a fan. You want to second-guess me? Great. Go ahead. I don't know. I'd say, I so. I'd no say I've noticed. I would just say this, and I'm not talking about Vrabel, or I'm, I'm not talking about Vrabel. Let me just – and I think Vrabel does know that getting criticized is part of the game. And I do think Vrabel doesn't really care. But – I'd say there are some people in this town who I thought would be used to dealing with criticism who apparently don't take criticism very well. So, I, you know, there is that, but I don't think Vrabel cares about criticism. I don't think he cares. I don't think I he cares it. at all. <laughs> but I also think it's kind of dangerous that some of these things, Vrabel thinks, you know, he made the right call, thinks the fans are just mad that it didn't work, and I'm not sold on that. Like, I think it's dangerous that, I, I, again. That he doesn't listen to the fans? No, is that just, the danger? No, <laughs> it's just dangerous. Like he thinks that the fans are mad about the field goal on Sunday because it didn't work. That's why the fans are mad at it. And that's exactly we're, right. We're, we're mad about it because it like, was stupid. You know, this is just like this is just like Mariota's poll. You know what? We win. Mariota's at sixty or seventy percent. Oh, I can't imagine. But we lose. He's at thirty percent. Oh. 
Gee, what a surprise. Let's get your phones Jeez. in. 615. Figure it out. 615-737-1025. 615-737-1025. Jared and the GM. By the way, the coach, I'm kind of tired of talking about the coach going for it on fourth down and all that, but no, he keeps continue, giving us reasons. Talking. Well, he keeps giving us reasons every week to talk about it. The players. The players keep saying something that's starting to get to me. We'll get to that next. Jay to the GM, it's ESPN 1025, the game. You think you coached too emotionally at times? You said after the Atlanta, uh, when you went for it the day after, in hindsight, that, that you should have kicked it to get the three-score lead. Yesterday, it seems like it would have been a wiser decision to, to have gone for it when you're sending on a kicker who struggled all day. Are emotions at play? As you're I think everything we do, I think that there's, um, you know, emotion involved, but I'm trying to make the, uh, the, the best decision uh, for the team. And, you know, again, we can sit here and look and say, well, you know, we, did, we didn't get it. We didn't pick up the fourth down. Our foot was across the line. We had a penalty. We, we missed a kick. Um, you know, I just don't think that you have the luxury to do that, nor do you want to. You know, you got to make a decision. And, uh, and get the players uh, a call, one that they know and they're confident in and that uh, they can execute. That was Vrabel on his decision-making loaded phones. Let's go right to him here at Pete and Terry's Tavern. Robert in Nashville is going to start us off. Robert. Robert, go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call, guys. Go ahead, Robert. Hey. All right. Uh, well, I'm going to say this. Bravo is not the problem of this team. Okay, the poll question should be, do the people trust this line, of the offensive line of the Titans? And the question would be unanimous, because I don't think anybody would trust this line. And then I don't think that this team here, this team does not have the, I guess, the anger part of losing. They have got into place to, like, they win a lot of games. They always say, like, okay, the next game, we move it to the next game. Well, to me, you guys don't understand. People pay their hard-earned money. Well, the Titans guys don't understand to come see them play a good game and win sometime. Now, if they're not winning some of these games, the fans want to hear this team saying to one another, okay, we're tired of losing, we're going to go out, we're going to do this, do that, da-da-da. But no, it, it's never none of that. It, they act like that they – I don't know. They act like that it doesn't mean anything to them. They don't have any fire toward them whatsoever. And I think the fans is a little tired of it, and they need to wake up and then just start making each other accountable for what they are out there on that field doing. There's nobody on that team that is standing up and saying, listen, I'm tired of what's going on. We'll beat the two worst teams, two of the worst teams, the Falcons and the Browns. Robert, Taylor Lewan said that after the game. Well, and you know what? He made a good point. But what does that say about them? He said, guess what he said? He said they are who who they are, whatever little statement he made. Then what what do what does that make them? Okay? He needs to come back on that radio, come back on the radio when they lose and Marcus too. So people need to interview Marcus 
and, and find out what is going on. Because Marcus, he can come on the radio and he can give interviews when they're playing well, but he needs to come on the radio when they lose it. So, Marcus, if you out there listening, please come on the radio and give these fans an explanation of what is going on. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. I think Marcus does his media obligations all the same every week. I'm sure he does. I don't know that, but I'm sure he does. And a lot of times people will tell you they never listen, and they usually listen the most. You know, like certain coaches, certain things, they'll be like, they never listen. And then you'll hear about something that really irked them that you said that's like they heard it. Um, And on the other side of that, I don't think Marcus ever listens. I don't. I don't think Marcus reads. I don't think Marcus listens. I don't think Marcus any of it. I don't. John is up next here on Mike Vrabel's decision making. Go ahead, John. Hey Floyd, Jared, how you doing? Good. Hey, great. Hey, I've, I've been a fan since nineteen seventy-eight. Oilers, uh, uh, Titans. But getting to the kicker, um, if I was va- um if I was the coach, I'd tell the media to shut the hell up. The bottom line is this. The kicker only missed two field goals. The other one was blocked. Okay? So he missed two field goals. I've seen wide receivers drop two passes in one game. Second of all, if I'm the coach, I want the kicker to go out there and make that field goal to keep his job. I don't want to have to be looking for another kicker. Okay? So if he makes that kick to 50, we keep the kicker on our team and we move on to the next game. So the bottom line, I think the coach did the right thing. Thank you for the call. Floyd? Yeah, I mean, he had different reasoning to it than, than I did, but I understand what he's saying. I mean, I'm not sure that you make a call hoping that the, the, the kicker, so, it's so you can retain the kicker. By the same token, you certainly don't want to go out looking for another kicker. No. <laughs> No, That's I mean, the, last thing you the, the one do. thing that you could say is <laughs> let's say Santos hits that kick and then the Titans march down and score and Santos hits the PAT, then maybe you could say, hey, he had a bad start and then got the one blocked and then, you know, and then now here he is. And, you know, at least you could feel a little bit better about that, but not to save the kicker. I mean, I'm not trying to win or lose the Buffalo game because I'm trying to save the Yeah, kicker. no, it's for every, everything else. Daryl is up next here on Jared and the GM. Thank you. Go ahead, Daryl. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, four years ago, we had what was considered considered to be one of the top lines in the NFL. And in four years, we have gone to having, I would say, arguably the worst line in, in the NFL. And every one of those moves were a J-Rob move. Now, everybody thought that Saffold was going to be great. They thought he was going to be an anchor. I, you know, I, I'll give J-Rob credit for that. You know, we look at Conklin's first year. He played great. But they've all gone in the tank. J-Rob has to be held accountable. And ultimately, you know, who's going to hold each other accountable is the guy that doesn't make mistakes. And there's no one who has the moral high ground to say, get in someone else's face and say, you're the problem or you need to do your job. Because in my view, very few of them are doing their job right now. So, you know, if you want that vocal leader to be out there, the most vocal guys are the ones, some of those are playing the worst. Thank you for the call, Daryl. That is a frustrating part is that, you know, it's like Lawan's going to get up there and be vocal and we all got to be better. And it's like, dude, you just had a PED suspension and you sucked, you know, like that. That's kind of the hard part. The hard part about 
football and, and maybe every major sport, every pro sport. I'm not sure. But there are so many plays that you're going to mess up in a game. You know, if there's 60 snaps in a game, I don't care what position you play. I don't care what it is. There's going to be three, four, five, six, seven plays that you mess up. And so it makes it difficult for, like the caller said, to have the moral high ground to go into the locker room and start chewing on somebody or start, you know, throwing your anger around the room when, in fact, you haven't been perfect. But nobody is perfect. Mm-hmm. There's too many, too many things that go wrong. And so that's why it's always difficult. You have to be very, very careful. And that's why you have to be one of those guys that has enough clout for whatever reason. Clout because you're a really good player. Clout because you... Yeah, you need to be Eddie George. Whatever, whatever it is that, that can allow you to do those things. Let's go to Joe, who's up next here on Jared and the GM. What's up, Joe? Hey, guys. How's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, a couple yep. things. Uh, one, we're not really scoring points regardless of what the problem is. you want to blame it on a kicker? Do you want to be banking on your kicker every week to win your games in the NFL? And two, how long do you think this Mariota thing is going to play out? Because I still think they can win the division, and, you know, you might not be here next year. How long are you going to wait? What's your other option? You want to go Tannehill? Tannehill. Tannehill might not be here next year either. Well, he's not had a great offensive line and arguably done the same, if not worse, in Miami. Right. So if he's done worse in Miami then why would you put in Tannehill? Well, if- the same, if not, if it were the same, if not better, excuse me. Uh, and I mean, I, I don't he, think he, he did not do better. He's, not a, he's a better passer. I mean, he is. He, he has not done better than Mariota. I mean, maybe he threw for more yards. Thank you, Joe. He threw for more yards than Mariota, but he's, his results were not better than Mariota's. And, you know, I mean, they, they just simply weren't when he was in Miami. So... Uh, how long are they going to go with Mariota for? Probably the rest of the season. And then we'll see then what they decide to do at that point. Yeah. Contractually, they're going to have to make a decision at a point in time. Plus, I thought he played great yesterday. I know I'm the only one that thinks that. But I thought he played really, really well. And it's a shame that they lost because there's so many people out there that as soon as they lose, <coughs> Ian, there are so many people out there that as soon as they lose, like, Mariota, Mariota not good enough. I'm like, he did everything he could. They were holding, and he was completing passes, and they were getting called back, and they were dropping the ball and, and all of that. But don't get me started because that was a whole yesterday thing. Completed 13 passes. He he's had he's four not doing drops. enough to win the game, bro. He's, he's just not doing enough. He's drops. not doing enough. Four drops. So he completed 17 passes oh. in a defensive game. Did he you see the game last night where and then, Baker completed eight? Well, Baker sucks. And that team <laughs> sucks. And I have been saying that all offseason when everyone was talking to them about going to the Super Bowl. Okay. Hal Gill is sitting here. He is coming up next. Live from Bridgestone Arena. We'll get his thoughts on the Predators, about the surge in offense, whether or not we can believe in the great Matt Duchesne, and much, much more. It's Jared and the GM right here on ESPN 1025 The Game and streaming on the Game National app. Jared and the GM live at Bridgestone Arena. Preds and Sharks in an hour and 30 minutes. And apparently the Sharks are going to sign Patrick Marlowe. Now, I guess he's not going to play today, obviously. But... 
Hal Gill joins us. He makes his triumphant return to Jared and the GM. Hal Gill presented by Puckett's Grocery and Barbecue. Hal, why did you want to come back for another season on Jared and the GM? Well, i got to be honest with you. i got a head cold right now. <laughs> so just to warn you, don't tick me off too much because my head might explode. <laughs> It might you might put me over the top. And so I was wondering if I was going to say he was contractually <laughs> obligated to come back on Jared and the GM this year. I don't know, uh, no, but it's I, good to have you I back for another the season. <laughs> There's nothing better. How? Let's talk about the Predators through two games. I'm in love with Matt Duchesne, and I know, I know it's two games, but the dude is making things happen. I mean, last year was a career year for him. But I thought, you know, a lot of that was contract year and high expectations and everything. He's come right here and picked up right where he left off last year. He looks better than I remember him in Colorado. I know it's two games, but he's made Mikhail Granlin like, look like a player again. I am convinced this guy may be the issue to the scoring woes. I'm a little worried defensively with how that's going to affect the team the way they're playing. But I am in love with what I've seen from Matt Duchesne. What have you seen? I'm with you. Uh, yeah, he's he's exceptional. And you know what? Everything we see on the ice, the speed, the shot, the quickness, the cutbacks, uh, he brings so many dimensions to the offense. What I really like is is talking to the guys. His work ethic is is awesome. I guess he's just a he, – he gets into it. He's, he's willing to put in. And I think this core group is, has always been – a group that works hard, but he uh, he takes it to another level from what I hear. He's he's rock solid in that respect. So he's the big addition, and obviously PK's the big subtraction. But the, it, is it just me, or to you, does it feel like a different team is out there on the ice this year? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it, it's a small sample size. I thought uh, they were maybe a little bit too offensive the last game against Detroit, and it cost them. But um, I love to see that offense. You know, that's a balancing act that they have to figure out. It is a different team, you know. You have uh, PK is is a big horse back there on defensive, uh, on defense in in the zone, in the corners, around the net, and uh, you know those those are big shoes to fill for Dante Fabro. But so far, I, I really like his game, and he's played well with Ekholm. And uh, it's just a matter of, of going out and and figuring out how you're going to play because you have four lines that I think can that can play, and that's there's not too many teams that can say that. And so it's easy to get excited and go out there and want to push the pace when you have when Joey's line is out there and then you have Duchesne's line out there. You you want to roll and keep going and and that's hard sometimes to say, hey, let's play some good defense here. So we'll see if they can balance it. Is the is the emphasis going from defense to offense? I, I understand it. I have absolutely no problem with it. Does that are we going to have the caliber offense? There's no doubt the offense is going to be better. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. Are we going to be good enough to compete against the really good offensive teams? Uh, we'll see. I, I think it's it's hard. It, the NHL is so tough to go run and gun. If you want to, you know, like the old Oilers in the '80s, just they just run and gun. They'd win seven to four, eight to five. You know, they they just find a way. I just think it's hard to do. There's so many good teams. Uh, defensively, they can lock it down. So if you play that game and you play it too often, sometimes you get burnt by it. And I think that's what happened in Detroit. It was just go, go, go. And they five guys in the rush. Uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. It's real exciting. But it, it doesn't win you too much. And when it comes down to playoffs, 
uh, that's when it, that's when it can cost you. So it's it's a little as we've seen, it's a little too late to find out then that you need to change the way he plays. So I'd like to see him be a little more responsible defensively, but it's nice to know that the offense is there. And if you're down a goal, we I feel like the Preds always had com- you know comfortable being coming from behind and getting goals in the third. I think it's going to be a, a, even more comfortable now. I, uh, and along those lines, I think the last game for me, I, I you know, in my mind, Soros struggled a little bit. And I'm wondering how much of that is the change in, you know, the defense. Yeah, there's. A diff, I think that's what you're looking at. Putting I, more I, pressure on I, the goalie. I didn't have a problem with him. The, some, some of the defensive breakdowns were just astounding. I, I, yeah. It's not very Fred-like. And I, I'm not sure what that was. Just maybe more of a focus in the camp about offense and not as much defense. But there were some breakdowns that just can't happen. And uh, Pekka came up with some huge saves where yeah, guys were all alone in front. Zucker was all alone in front for, it seemed like, five seconds. Uh, those breakdowns can't happen. And, and Saros, it, it did happen. And they had some good players that made some, some pretty good plays. That, you know, that Manta went to his next game he had four goals i mean this guy is a stud and i think maybe some people didn't realize how much of a stud he was dylan larkin is a heck of a player so those guys uh came out and and made some plays so i don't put it on on juice at all so i actually i like the way they played on saturday i just felt like they didn't win the game you know i mean sometimes you got to tip your cap to the other team sometimes like that I came you up and told like they you. Didn't win? I, I felt like they just, you know, I was happy with what I saw. They just didn't win the game. How Gil well, that's the whole this. that's the whole run and gun thing, right? You feel like they played well enough to win, but they came up short. Well, how Gill's with us, presented by Puckets. David Poyle was on the midday show today, and he was kind of addressing what you were talking about—the need to go get offense in the off season, and how maybe that affected them yesterday or on Saturday with the defense. This is what Poyle said. Well, I love the fact that. Uh, you know, we're thinking more offense. So if you remember how the year ends, we sort of go over everything and you check off all the boxes. Defense, good. Goaltending, good. Penalty killing, good. Offense, we want more offense. We sign Matt Duchesne. We, we talk a lot about, does this give us two top lines? Can we score more? So you have to realize that, you know, verbally, psychologically, whatever you want to say, we're, everybody's thinking more offense. And then the first two games, we put out a lot of offense and created a lot of chances, and it's just what exactly what we wanted to do. However, we probably didn't now go. We probably didn't check off all the other boxes, or we probably gave up a little bit more defensively than we wanted to, to give up. As to repeat what you said, as Peter said, that's a correctable uh, situation. So our players just need to be a little bit more conscious of when to go and when not to go, and when to be safe and when to take some uh, risks. But all in all, I, I like the fact that we scored goals. I like the fact that we're getting lots of chances, and I don't want to lose that. Just hopefully we can uh, smooth that defensive part of our game out a little bit. So you talked about the balancing act. When you hear David say that, how hard is that going to be to do? And not hard at all. I think it's a mentality. And he brought it up. It's it, it's hard to explain, but you talk about offense the whole summer. You go into camp. We're talking about offense. We're talking about the power play. Uh, you know, sometimes you you hey, it's in your back of your head that you got to join the rush. You got to be up in the play, and you're not thinking. All right, I got to cover my backside and, and drop off a step and that's all it is that's all it takes is is one step too far and the guy's gone and and you look like a clown defensively because you you took that one step and so i think it's just a mind shift 
uh, I have no doubt that they're going to come out and, and put a better – they better come out and put a little more emphasis on defense. But but as as David was saying, it, it can't be all defense. They, they want to build that offense, and that's good. It's just that balance. So you don't feel like – because Floyd and I talk about this. When this team got to the cup and what this team was built on, and even when you were here with this team, it was a defensive first team. Always. And defense was – at the end of the day, you could hang your hat that this team was going to have good defense and great goaltending. And we know they have great goaltending. But as far as the, the defense is concerned, with all the focus and emphasis on offense, you don't worry that maybe there's a little bit that's lost there from that defensive identity? I don't. I, when I look uh, through the, the core group of guys, I don't see that as being lost. I, th- I think it's just a, a mental, a mental gauge that switched too much to the offense, and I think it, you back it off a little bit. And listen, I, <laughs> it's, this team isn't perfect. As excited as we are about uh, Duchesne coming in, how well he's mixed with Forsberg and Granlin, uh, they're going to go through bumps in the road, just like every other team. I think it's. I think it's better that the offensive upside is there. They can dial it back and figure out and get back to, to where the defense is because maybe the offensive upside wasn't ever there, and and that's hard to turn on, as we saw in the playoffs. You know, you want to score goals in the power play, and you need that offensive mind. And so it, I think it will work itself out. Who benefits most from individual, from the, the change in philosophy? You know the two two lines and how good they're going to be. Well, I I think the biggest thing for me is separating the you know taking Forsberg off of the Jofa line and and making it really one A one B and you can decide which one. I think they'll fight you over which one which line is A and which is B. Well, he plays Deshane's line more, so I'm going to say that one's A. Well, that's you know you, you got to eventually we'll find out, but I really think that that battle right there everyone benefits from i think granlin you know wants to be that presence he wants to be that he looks guy. like a player this year yeah he does he looks good attacking driving the net i uh, got the nice tip goal where he's at the net i think those things those little things are going to be big because they do have two lines and then uh, you know we talk about a chip on your shoulder you have kyle turris who's looked really good i think and uh he's playing with grimaldi and yarn and they're trying to produce offense, and I think they look good. They they were better than than I expected, and I, I'm expecting to see more from them. So I think everyone benefits from that trickle down. Is that is that the number one area of this team you're most excited about, or what is the area the, you're? Really I think the excited? balance. I think the Jofa line was as great as they were. It was just it was so focused on on the Jofa line. When can we get the Jofa line? Let's what face off? Where should we put? the Benino line for a face-off so that we can be ready to have the Joe. And now I feel like you have more options and more of a balanced attack. And I think that for Laviolette, I think that kind of is in his brain that he can roll different different schemes and, and line matchups. And I think that, you know, I think throughout the whole team, that, that makes a big difference. Well, I would say this too. Like Grandlin last year, he came in here and did absolutely nothing. And I was thinking to myself, man, this guy kind of sucks. Like, what are they doing here? But when you go from playing with Craig Smith and Kyle Turris to going to play with Matt Duchesne and Philip Forsberg, I mean, no offense to those other guys, but that is a night and day difference. And I felt like Granlin was brought in and we were told, hey, Granlin's a point-per-game guy and he's excellent on the power play and he's 
And so we got this idea in our mind that Granlin was some kind of scorer. You watch his game. He's more of a creator than he is a scorer. So you put him with two guys in Duchesne and especially Forsberg that have no problem trying to shoot the puck in the net. I think that's a better fit for him. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And he's he's not a playmaker that stands on the perimeter. I think he's a, a playmaker that attacks, and that's the biggest thing for me. Uh, yeah, it, you know, when, when I, I talk about it all the time. If I was playing defense against Duchesne and Forsberg, the guy who's on the puck carrier, my partner is on the puck carrier, whether that be either one of those guys, I have to be ready because if they get beat, i got to slide over. And what that does is is leaves whoever I'm watching, Granlin or the other guy, that gives a, a little more room for those guys. And I think that's a huge part of that line is respecting the one-on-one moves, respecting Forsberg coming down the wing and doing a cutback, and Duchesne with a quick exchange. You say, hey, i got to help these guys out a little bit. You move over, and then all of a sudden Granlin's open on the back door. And I think those are the little plays that they do really well. How? what do we watch for this time of year? I mean, what is... You know, let's say the Preds reel off three in a row, right? Like, I'm not going to get too excited about it one way or another because it's still early in the season. Teams are finding their rhythm. I mean, St. Louis was horrid this time last year and ends up winning the Cup. But but what are we watching for at this time of year to get a good feel for the team? I'm looking for chemistry combinations. Um, I think it was really re- a big deal in camp with Duchesne and Forsberg, and that clicked. But there's other, you know, we I think there's still room – uh, to figure out who's going to be playing with who. Um, you know, it looks like Irwin is going to be in tonight with Weber. Uh, so Hamuse comes out. Uh, I'm not overly worried about it. I think it's just, you know, there's little tweaks that you have to make. You have Carr, who's not in the lineup. When does he come in and who does he play with? Are you going to stick with the top two lines? And the third, you know, there's all those little, that little chemistry that you're looking for. And then, playing with that chemistry in a structure and laviolette's you know he's he's clear on the on the left wing lock and and how he wants that set up the d zone structure has to be cleaned up uh just working those combinations within a structure quickly i know we're running out of time here but in the league throughout the league it appears to me novice that this time of year, there's a little bit more room to do some of the things that you want to do compared to later on in the year where yeah. it kind of tightens down. Is that, in fact, true? Well, we've seen it. Like, you need to go, you need to run hot at the end of the season. <laughs> you know, like, look at, ask St. Louis what the, the beginning of the season yeah, meant. Yeah. You know, nothing. They don't, I mean, yeah, it was a bummer. They were, they were down and out last place, and then they turned it on. So, I think you want to find out all that stuff. You know, I think San Jose is looking at it right now saying, all right, we lost three games. We're finding out what our team's all about. We're just going to – and they're not down on it. I think it's just running hot at the end of the season. So, that, of course, it's hard. It's Central Division. If you don't get the points, you're out. I mean, it's, it's going to be a tough division all the way down. I don't care about the first five games. I always wait for five games to happen before you make any judgments on anyone. So, uh, you know, play it out, figure out what makes the team tick, and, and then go from there. Hal Gill, as always, presented by Puckets. Hal, welcome back to Jared and the GM. It's nice to be back with you, Jared. Good to see you. You said with Jared. I was I was stunned. That's the uh, first time <laughs> I've ever heard a true compliment from Hal Gill. Have you ever... No one's ever said it's good to be with you, Jerry. No, you have never <laughs> I'm said. I'm so that. sorry. You have. Were you not. hugged as a kid? <laughs> a little bit. I don't blame him. 
<laughs> it's a tough spot to be in. <laughs> Hal Gill, Hal Willard Ford, Thanks, seeing guys. you on the broadcast tonight. Jared of the G and Predators game day is next. Live from Bridgestone Arena at ESPN 1025, the game. Selling Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. It's game day in Smashville. Brought to you by T.J. Anderson Homes and Geno's East. What are Peter Laviolette's keys to the game? Who will be in and out of the lineup? It's time to break it all down on Jared and the GM on your flagship home of Smashville. ESPN. 102.5 The Game. Predators game day is presented by T.J. Anderson Holmes and Geno's East. Geno's East get a historic slice of Chicago deep dish tradition before or after the game. Geno's East on the corner of 3rd and Korean Vets. Info at geno'seast.com backslash Nashville. Floyd Reese, tonight the Predators take on the San Jose Sharks right here at Bridgestone Arena at 7 o'clock. And the San Jose Sharks are without a win. And, of course, without that means going into game four at 0-3, they are going to be hungry. Coach Peter LaViolette is part of our coach's take. Presented by T.J. Anderson Homes. Your road to real estate starts at tjandersonhomes.com. This is Peter LaViolette on the rivalry with the Sharks. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a, a good game, especially, I think, where they're at right now. You know that they're going to be angry and irritated that, you know, they haven't gotten off to the start that they wanted. So that presents a, a good challenge, lots of good players. And you're right, there's a little bit of history there. So our guys will be ready to play. So I, I'm going to rub some people the wrong way, but I don't consider the Sharks a rival at all. You played them in a playoff, you lost, end of story. You know, I mean, that was three years ago. I think everybody's moved on. They're a good team. You're a good team. They're in the playoffs every year. You're in the playoffs every year. But not much of a rivalry. Uh, but if the Sharks haven't won a game, I mean, you don't want to start 0-4, 0-5. No. Season. I mean, no. that's the, the way you just don't want to start your season. Uh, taking a look at the injury report today, no injuries to report. However, the Preds will make a lineup change. As Matt Irwin ret- returns to the lineup for the Predators today, he'll be paired with Yannick Weber. Meanwhile, Dan Hamuse will exit. Weber and Hamuse on the season, the third pair, minus three. Uh, Plus minus to start the year. Looks like Peter Laviolette's going to give Matt Irwin a shot, although it's not as if we haven't seen Matt Irwin paired up with Yannick Weber before. Yeah, I mean, that's we've been there before, and, and that's certainly one of those areas that we have to improve in. We were talking about this early, you know, our defense is, is maybe not. We're not sure. Maybe not doing exactly what we wanted to do. Meanwhile, taking a look at the standings, the Predators are currently in third place in the NHL Central Division inside the Western Conference. The defending cup champion Blues set atop with five points, although they played an extra game on the Predators and Avalanche. The Judys, the Punch and Judy Colorado Avalanche, have two more points than the Preds. They're 2-0. and oh. Preds are 1-1 one and one for two points. Winnipeg. One and two through three games for two points. Chicago, Minnesota, and Dallas all without points, although Chicago's only played one game. Dallas, oh and three to start the early going. Although, again, we laughed at St. Louis every time we did this last year, and they got the last laugh. And I'm sure it depends on who you're playing early, too. You know, I mean, there's some of those oh and threes that you lost really, really good teams. Tonight, 7 o'clock, right here on ESPN 1025, the game, the voice of the Predators. Pete Weber will have the call. Floyd Reese, what are you watching for tonight? Preds and Sharks. You know, I think Hal kind of mentioned it and, and kind of piqued my interest in, in the balance between 
how we operate our offense and how we operate our defense. You know, I don't want to. And I got the impression, similar to how that maybe early we were really, really pushing with the offense and and maybe slacking in the defense. So I'm I'm concerned about that balance a little bit. Yeah, like you, just because you focus on scoring goals on the power play does not mean that you abandon playing. Defense. Yeah, exactly. And that's something I feel like the Predators are going to have to get back on track, especially tonight against a team in San Jose who's going to want to win a game. That's going to do it for us. We are out of here. Predators pregame coming up next. This is Jared and the GM. Preds and Sharks tonight at 7. We'll see you.